I'm assuming when you're starting out for the first time, you're 23 or 25 or 27, right? I think you have a massive advantage because most of your network will be young. They will have energy. They will have time. They'll have the naivet to believe, dream. And that's why you see most of the large, big-ass successful companies are built by young founders. And they're able to attract people like them who are young, hungry, have the hustle, don't overcomplicate things, don't think of like, oh, what if it doesn't work? They have fewer responsibilities to worry about. They're not figuring, oh, what is my time cost and opportunity cost, right? So I think being a young founder is a massive advantage when it comes to building the early team. Hello and welcome to Humans of Startups, a podcast where we talk about the importance of building a good early team for a startup. Your early team defines your culture and your culture plays a huge role in attracting, retaining and motivating talent. Hiring is slowly becoming the hardest part for early stage startups. Through a series of interactions with founders, I aim to unearth the dynamics behind building a strong early team and the best practices for building an impeccable culture. In today's episode, I'll be speaking to Arnav Kumar who's the co-founder and CEO of Leap. So Leap is an edtech plus fintech platform that's solving a lot of issues in the higher education space in India and abroad. Leap started in 2019, has raised $80 million in venture funding. Arnav himself is a serial entrepreneur and Leap is his third startup. He was also the co-founder of GoZumo, a used car marketplace that he started way back in 2014. Interestingly, Gozumo raised $6 million in venture funding, but ended up giving half of that money back to the investors because the founding team thought that it wasn't really the right time for used car marketplaces to work. And they gracefully shut shop because they weren't able to strike the right unit unit economics. After his stint with Gozumo, Arna worked with Safe Partners, now known as Elevation Capital for a few years post which he spent an year trying to figure out what his next adventure is going to be, after which he finally decided to start Leap in 2019. He is an IIT KGP alum and is very popular on Twitter because of the insights that he puts up around company building, hiring and culture in general. I am very excited to be speaking to him because he's built teams before, he's worked with a lot of teams while he was a VC, And I'm sure he has a lot of insights around how to build a team, how to manage your first 25 employees and how to build a great culture. So let's begin. Hey, Arnav, thanks so much for tuning in. Welcome to the Humans of Startups podcast. I am very excited to be speaking to you, not because we're going to speak about hiring, but also because I've personally followed you right since 2016. My first year of college, I was very fascinated with the Indian startup ecosystem. And the first name that I hear from my college seniors was Arnav Kumar. That guy who works with Safe Partners, started a couple of companies before. You should go and speak to him. And uh, yeah, that's about it. But let's let's get started with uh, what Leap is and what is it that you guys are aiming to achieve with Leap. So in the simplest sense, we are a one-stop platform for anyone who is thinking of going to a global institution to study or looking for a career in different geographies, right? So the platform sort of walks along the student. It's a long journey. Uh, Students spend several years and definitely several months in this journey. 
the idea is that we've taken each part of this process and built a vertically integrated sort of suite of products and services to cater to their life cycle completely. So that is what we do in a nutshell. The reason like why we started this is I've always been fascinated with education, especially higher education that leads to better outcomes, better incomes. And that is how sort of every society sort of moves up and people do more productive work, earn better, get more skill, right? So I've always been fascinated with higher education. And I spent a lot of time thinking of various business models around higher education. I also tried to build something like Lambda School in India. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a subject that fascinates me. Like higher education careers is a, is a subject that fascinates me. And while I was doing all that research, I realized that there's this massive market which is growing secularly. And Indian students now spend sort of already spend more than $20 billion every year in studying globally. And this is only going to increase. Like more and more students are becoming more aspirational, want a global career and want a global education. And we realized that this is a very, very broken market. So, and I've seen this upfront, like in my, in my family. I didn't go to study abroad. My younger brother was two years younger to me. And I did much better than him in class 12, JE and all of that. He worked in Accenture for four years in India, then went uh, to the US to study and did, did his master's, now doing very well, doing so well that I've become the black sheep of the family. So I've seen how transformational that journey can be. And now all my cousins, every cousin I have in my family, and I come from a middle class family, everyone is studying sort of abroad. Like I have cousins in Italy, I have a cousin in Singapore, I have two cousins in Canada, I have one in Ireland, one in the US. So all my cousins are now studying abroad and all of their journeys sort of were suboptimal. So we realized that this is a massive market which is set to grow and there's a real pain point to be solved because there's a lot of information asymmetry. Like for a 20, 21, 22 year old, this is probably the biggest financial and career decision that they'll make. So they need a lot of content, lot of hand-holding, lot of guidance to sort of help them realize that dream. And that was the inspiration. We saw a large market which was broken, large spend, and we said we'll fix it. Got it. So I agree with everything that you said, except the fact that you've become the black sheep of your family. I'm sure that you haven't. But moving on to the next question, how about your co-founders? How did you meet how did you build conviction that, okay, this is the idea that we both want to work on together? So luckily, none of us had to build conviction for the other. My co-founder comes from this, from the higher education financing segment, and he has been financing students, helping them. So just to give you some context, financing is probably the number one reason why more people don't study at global schools. If financing was not a problem, 50 times more students would probably want to go abroad. But like just in terms of quality of life, quality of work, or global opportunities, there's a desire to just become a global citizen and sort of have that global career, right? So that's a running joke. And uh, he has been sort of in the student financing space for a long time. And he has seen many, many students sort of their lives getting transformed by sort of with this higher education journey. So he had a very strong conviction, but he came at it more from a fintech point of view. I always looked at education more from a at tech point of view and thankfully it came together and now we are a tech plus fintech platform we are a vertically integrated platform we provide everything sort of right from test prep to guidance content connecting you with the right people and once you get an adequate financing post financing so we help with like all the financial products that you need and now we also have a career space so it's a it's a really good sort of intersection of edtech and fintech saying hey ultimately the job to be done for a student is to be successful in the global sort of career marketplace 
and we will do whatever it takes to help students get there interesting now let's talk about the journey of building leap from 2019 how many employees are currently working with leap how many were working with leap in let's say one year before sure sure so we are roughly 2 years old we launched our product in march 2020 and i think till till december 2020 we were around 30 35 people in the company and then sort of we got very like we got to product market fit and we realized that we can scale and now we are almost 250 people in the company so basically you had a team of 35 people back in december 2020 and over the course of the last 11 months you've hired somewhere around 200 people that that's pretty amazing how do you look at your employee strength one year down the line i think we'll be close to 500 people in the company got it now let's let's talk about the first 25 you know how hard or difficult was it for you to hire your first 25 humans as a third time founder do you think it was easy do you think it was tough tell us more about the journey any particular examples anecdotes that you'd want to talk about so that yeah so hiring the first 25 people is always is always critical i won't say hard or easy but it's critical that founders spend a lot of time finding the right people because as the well spread wisdom goes that your first 10 25 people will set the culture for the company also right like they will influence the culture so it's obviously it's super important largely our early hiring came from the network like and that's always going to be true for uh, most founders i feel that your first few people who take a because they are also taking a bet right you're you're a young company there's so much to be figured out there's so much that can go wrong multiversity company building is a exercise in hypothesis and uh, hypothesis testing experiment so there's always that probability that things might not work out right so effectively those people are also taking a punt on you and uh, as with all things it becomes easier to take a punt when you have more data points about the the thing that you're taking a punt on right so in this case a large part of that will be people or founders so i think it's it's always true and it was true in our case as well that our first people came from our network so i know this is something which i have heard from a lot of founders that your first 25 come from your network now if you have to talk to a first time founder and advise them on how do you go about getting your first 25 because when you're starting out for the first time you're very young the probability of finding superstars in your network maybe might not be as great as let's say someone who's starting out for the third time tell us tell us what will you advise a first time founder i'm assuming when you're starting out for the first time you're 23 or 25 or 27 right when you're a young person i think you have a massive advantage because most of your network will be young they will have energy they will have time they'll have the naivete to believe dream as you become more and more as you grow older uh you become more and more pessimistic about life in general i think so I, and that's why you see most of the large big ass successful companies are built by young founders and they are able to attract people like them who are young hungry have the hustle don't overcomplicate things don't think of like oh what if it doesn't work 
they have fewer responsibilities to worry about. They're not figuring, oh, what is my time cost and opportunity cost uh, of switching, right? So I think being a young founder is a massive advantage when it comes to building the early team. You know, what you've said inspired me a lot because I've always been of the opinion that hiring my first few employees as a first-time founder is going to be the toughest job. But basis what you've said, it I'm sure it'll motivate and inspire a lot of people to start up right very early into their careers. Moving on to the next question, uh, Leap is your third company. Tell us a bit more about hiring in general. I mean, has it been tough for you? How how easy was it when you were starting your other two companies? It was it was equally easy and difficult. Like it was it was not very very different. In in my case, it's largely the same because I've always been around startups. So my network has sort of been among startups, right? The interesting thing is that like some of the first people I we were able to attract at Leap were references of people I worked at Zoomo. So it was equally difficult and hard. I do feel that if I was starting, if I'm starting a company at 50, for example, it will be harder for me to attract the first few set of people because everybody in my network would be 50. They would all be in like well-settled jobs. They'll have much lower risk appetite, probably would have different priorities in life, probably won't have the kind of hustle and the number of hours that you need to put in a company. I think it would be much harder there. And I would like to believe I'm still young. So that has not been a problem. Got it. Now, now, now that you've mentioned that you've hired a lot, if you have to look at one trait that you really look for while hiring people at Leap, what will that one trait be? Okay, if there's only one trait, then it would be hunger. Like we try to find, obviously, it's never as simplistic. There's always like, 10 things that we want in a, in a person that we hire. We want them to be rock stars at many, many aspects. For example, self-awareness is very important for us. The desire to win is very important for us. Somebody who doesn't judge them, somebody who operates with winning as a framework, somebody who knows their sense and weaknesses very, very well, somebody who knows why they are doing what they are doing, why are they switching a, a role. All of these are parameters that we look for. First principles problem solving, very, very strong first principles problem solving. These are all things that we look for. But if you ask me to choose one thing of all of these, it would be extreme desire and hunger to win. Do you think that the culture of a company is essentially an extension of the founder's personality? I don't think it's the extension of the founders necessarily. Like in our company, we generally try to operate with this framework of saying, hey, winning is a framework. Like we use winning as a framework, right? So who is the ideal candidate for us depends on what helps the company win. For example, today I might be looking for somebody who is an exceptional org builder, which means that person needs to have very, very high EQ and should be able to inspire people. When I was hiring my first five people, that wasn't necessarily the biggest thing I was looking for. Back then, I would be looking for people who are more like Swiss Army Knights. They, they can do a little bit of product also. They can do market research also. Like they'll do whatever it takes to sort of get the engine started, right? So what qualities you look for actually should, in my view, should come from what does, what helps the company win? Now, what I've understood is that 
there are certain traits which are very important to a company based on whatever objectives they want to achieve or the kind of market that they are in but what are some of the general traits that you think founders should look for while they are hiring in general so doesn't really depend on which industry the company is operating in or the kind of uh, stage that they are in what are some of the most basic startup personalities that you think people should look out for for any startup like for example you need to have people who are very very self aware because people you know, like startups are fluid right so if you're not if if you don't have people who are self aware unlike in a large setup where you have people who can mentor you like there's a lot of time for you to ease into an organization largely things are set and you're moving like you're moving one small part of the organization forward in one direction right where it's a lot where you can you don't have to sprint you can take it easy right uh, unlike that at startups you are thrown in the deep end of the pool very very quickly and there if you're not self aware you won't like swim like you'll you'll sink right because you will there's a very good chance that 90% times you go to a startup and if it's an aggressive startup the first project that you do will not be a sound like a resounding success right best case scenario it will be an average success in most probability it will be a disaster because you'll join the company and like an aggressive founder will tell you hey go and like i need this in like 7 days and you don't have a context you can't like do a lot of things then then there'll be two kinds of people one kind of people will be very self aware and they'll know this is why so this is what i could not do well okay so in the next project i'll do this better and they'll figure out a way to adapt themselves to the organization was there there'll be other kind of people who will want the organization to adapt to them and that's not possible in a startup all right so now that we have done with the traits let's talk about challenges what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced while hiring folks at leap yeah in a nutshell for any startup including leap the biggest challenge is hiring at a rapid pace while keeping the talent density high generally what happens is when you hire like fast the talent density starts going down because you you make peace with like average quality poorer quality than like your first 25 people that i think is the is the one line problem statement for any startups hiring and you have to hire people faster and faster and faster because your requirements are growing and the business is growing but you have to keep the talent density high and the best organizations are able to actually increase talent density while ramping up and that is why there's a concept of bar raise rounds they saying hey every person who's coming in needs to raise the bar on some aspect right so that i think is a universal challenge and that has been the challenge for us also so it's uh, it's very easy to hire slow and hire very very well it's very easy to hire fast and hire badly the challenge is how do you hire fast while improving the talent density and the tricky thing about this is that however much you do you always feel that you can like you need smarter people better people more people why are we hiring only sort of five rock stars every month why can't we hire like 20 rock stars every month so arnav the interesting thing about what you said is whatever traits you mentioned those are essentially very basic traits that a person should possess right since you know when they are kids so if i have to ask you that what would you do to increase the amount of people smart people who can get these things done 
and how do you inculcate these qualities right since their childhood what would you have done for that that the like the answer to that or what i would do is uh, i would get a lot lot of teenagers running small businesses very early in there and it could be a lemonade stand it could be a restaurant it could be like a, a seller on amazon it could be a game developer it could be whatever like i would figure out how to get this uh, call in hindi chaska of like building and making money and uh, making turning 10 rupees into 15 rupees how would you get the the kick that you get from sort of doing this and by being a builder i think the the more people you can expose to this kick and the power of compounding the power of commerce or the power of software to say see this is how economic value is generated and this is how you can do well by creating value for the world and then capturing some value for yourself the sooner more and more and more people experience this i think that is uh, how you will be able to create a very large number of builders and entrepreneurs in the in the country right and that is why maybe someone that you should talk to is mekin who's building udyam which i think is like one of the most fascinating countries in the sorry companies in the country making popularizes mass entrepreneurship in schools while tying up with government schools which is a, i think a fascinating model and that is the right direction to take the more people the more young people that get into building while they are teenagers like the more in, input the more output like these people when they come out of college etc will be very very trying to build so arna we are in a market where there's loads of vc money into the market new and new startups are mushrooming on a daily basis as a founder do you believe that retention can really be a moat i personally believe that if you are able to retain good people inside your organization that itself gives you an edge over your competitors given the fact that you can't build a company alone you need smart people to do it so any thoughts around employee retention in general how are you managing retention at leap and what are some of the best practices that other founders can undertake employee retention stems from understanding what is important to your people right and generally it's a well when understood story that there are two three things that really matter to people like one is how much autonomy do you have second is are you mastering something right a uh, third is are you enjoying the people that you work with right fourth will be is it in line with your long term goals fifth will be are you fairly compensated for the value that you are delivering right so i think employee retention and different people will have different uh, views on it in my view right employee retention comes from two three things one is giving people a very clear sense of what the company's objectives are and helping people marry their personal growth objectives whether it's in terms of moving up the hierarchy or mastering a skill or contributing to an open source whatever it is whatever the so i think good retention comes when you are able to marry what is important for that individual with what is important for the company right if you achieve like good harmony there then it's like then it's utopia right like, because what, then what it means is that i am doing something that i enjoy doing 
on a day-to-day basis in terms of mastery, autonomy, getting better at at this thing. And that is leading to the company's objectives getting further, right? The bad scenario is when the company needs uh, to move in direction A, but the employee's goals are tangential to that, right? That is the bad situation to be in. As long as the as long as you're able to marry the personal person's personal goals with the company's business objectives, I think it's very harmonious. And then obviously you have to have the basics, right? Like the basics of culture have to be right. Like you should be able to build a culture where people enjoy working. People enjoy working hard without feeling burnt out. People know why they are working hard. So contextualizing, all these are hygiene, right? Contextualizing why you're working hard. What does this lead to? Why is your work important, right? Compensation, like making sure that you are fairly compensating people for the work that they're doing, giving them upside into the business growth through ESOPs. And these are all hygiene items, right? Which all good companies will do. So compensation, ESOPs, culture, people, good people, L&D, helping them grow. In my view, what is the strong mode for retention for the top sort of people that you hire, right? And I'm assuming that you only want to hire top people, right? Is by aligning their career goals with the company's objectives. This kind of takes me to my next question where I've been pondering about this for quite some time now. That... Every founder I speak to talks about how they want to hire more and more entrepreneurial people and retain them. But the reality of the matter is that these entrepreneurial people eventually will leave your organization and start their own company, right? So how do you balance that trade-off? Do you encourage people working on side projects while they are working with Leap? Or or how do you manage the entire trade-off? What are your thoughts around this entire spectrum? Would love to know that. Yeah, I generally feel that increasingly careers are will, are going to be like multiple tours of duty, right? So as long as, so we, at least we want to get the best people. We want to get clarity, you know, for 12 months or 18 months or whatever the time frame is, Leap has to be the top priority in their sort of professional life, right? As long as that happens and the, and the person is able to deliver or whatever, whether it's 12 months, like 18 months or six months, whatever, that's that's fine. Because if you get the right person, right, that person, and if that person plays the game at the highest level, six months, 12 months can also be transformative for your company. And the smart thing for a founder to do would be to use the talent density they have internally to attract like five times more talent, right? So. Like people will always have ambitions. People will always want to um, do more and more and more. It's absolutely okay. As long as you're very clear about it. Then this is a tour of duty. My tour of duty is like 12 months long or 24 months long or 36 months. And mostly, at least I haven't seen people who have come and said, no, I I have a 12 month sort of tour of uh, duty. But I explicitly asked that question. They're saying, hey, what is this? Like one question we ask everyone in the interview what is this a stepping stone to? Like this stint at leap, what is this a stepping stone to? And then if it turns out that the person wants to be sort of entrepreneurial, it's absolutely okay. The only thing we want to align for is that you can't be distracted. Like you can't be too timing because like at a startup, it doesn't allow you the luxury, unfortunately, to too time. You have to be in it to win it. You will have aggressive targets. You will, um, you will actually have to work put all your energy and imagination and time into solving a critical problem 
you can't two time it right uh, you can build something on the side when you are at a at a maybe a large mnc that requires you to do very little not as a startup so as long as that clarity is there we love like people who are entrepreneurial for the startup it net nets it net net works out for the better because till the time the person is here if that person is actually a force of nature like the kind of person who will be a good entrepreneur then while the person will is in the company they will turn the game they'll change the game they'll inspire more people they'll set a new bar for execution and everybody will have to up their game to sort of get there and like when the person leaves there's a very good chance that he would have created 10 more people like them in the company or would have attracted five more people uh, like them in the company and yeah we also get to angel invest so everyone wins uh <laughs> right right that's a very interesting take arnab uh if i have to talk about your commitment or or the kind of time you've invested as a ceo towards hiring how has that been and how are you looking at it in the future now that the company is growing the amount of people are growing how much like how much time every week will you be spending just on hiring everyone in the leadership team and leadership team minus 1 and leadership team minus 2 i would have interviewed personally like i think it's very very important i think even now every day i do at least like every week i know because it's on my calendar so i know that every week i spend at least 10 hours interviewing and these are personal interviews like one on one interviews with with candidates right so i've been doing that from the very beginning that at least sort of earlier there was a time when it used to be 20 hours also but for the last 3 months it's been 10 hours a week uh, that i spend on hiring because it's again i think of hiring or good hiring gives you so much leverage that it's time very very well spent if you hire the right person that person will give you so much of your time back over the course of 12 18 months that they are there it's absolutely makes sense purely from a selfish like mathematical point of view to spend that time so i have always been spending a lot of time in hiring and i intend to do that so it will always be at least like 10 hours a week now it might mean that when we are 500 people we are hiring let's say in a in a month we hire like 30 people and i only get to speak with 15 of them there was a time 6 months ago when we were hiring 12 people in a month and all of them i was able to cover in the interview time i had got it uh so this is your third company uh, and i would love to know what are some of the things that you've realized being a ceo uh from your previous experiences what have you learned and if if there are a couple of examples that that you'd like to talk about uh would love to hear them yeah. i think the biggest change probably is prioritizing employee happiness over other thing like what that means is like now i very very firmly believe somebody who's unhappy will never be able to do the quality of work that i expect people will only be able to deliver the kind of quality of work that you want if they are sorted and happy and aligned and like they have clarity in their heads it's not clogged if there is someone who is unhappy has negative emotion it generally never works out right and hence how this manifests is that earlier like i would over index on the output saying hey this person is not uh, delivering or for some reason not working and i would i think i'm sure there were times when i was harsh with the person also saying hey why is this not happening i think increasingly now when that happens i just try to understand what's 
not working for the person because that is important for me to fix. I know if I don't solve that root cause, the person will never be able to operate at the level that we want to. So as a consequence of that, I think like I don't remember a single time at LEAP where I have like shouted at someone or lost it or like became angry. But I don't think it helps at all. It, it's much more important to understand why the person um, is not at their peak performance and sort of intervene and try to solve for that. And it could be many things. It could be like something we are doing wrong as a company that maybe the person doesn't have clarity or the person is actually overburdened and is not saying no to like things, right? Or the person actually want, needs to hire two people but is not asking for those resources because that person is shy or the person needs leadership training uh, on leadership coaching, right? So I think it's a lot more important now for, for us to understand the second and third why of why is something not happening rather than saying, oh, this is not happening and uh, hence take a call on that. But how do you as a CEO or how do you as a company proactively approach this problem? Because I've seen this in a ton of organizations that the only time when employers realize that something wrong is happening is when the person finally decides to quit. So how do you proactively measure this? How do you proactively make sure that employee happiness is at the top of all your priorities? Like very simply, there are two things. So for example, one is to keep a, again, it starts from giving clarity. If everyone knows what winning looks like, and I know what winning looks like for each person in the company, then firstly though, the problem becomes very, very clear when you just look at metrics. You look at a metric and you know, okay, let's say for, for Shal, winning looks like moving a certain metric 20% week on week, right? And you're seeing that for the last three weeks, the metric has only moved 2% week on week. Then you know that Shal would be unhappy. Right? Because like, again, we trust our hiring process, so we know that anybody who's come into the company wants to win. If they're not winning, like they would be unhappy, right? So firstly, it doesn't, we don't allow it to fester. And I'm giving you an example of three weeks. We actually act in the first week itself, like with one week, because we, we do, we, we check on, check in. He was like, what is not working? How can we sort of help? Do we need to brainstorm more? So that is one way Like keep a very, very strong eye on what winning looks like for each person and knowing if they're winning or not on a weekly or a fortnightly basis. That's one. The second is like good old one-on-ones. So like I do one-on-ones with all my sort of direct reports once a month and our one-on-one format is designed to sort of, so we don't talk like people first fill out a form and the form is designed in such a manner that if something is not working, it comes out in that form itself. So we know that, okay, there's some challenge that we need to then sort and discuss it out in the one-on-one discussion. So no rocket science, look at metrics, intervene early if the metrics are not moving, if the person is not winning. So winning is a framework we use for everything. If the person is not winning, we assume that the person will be sort of either like they'll definitely be vexed or like disturbed. Right? Because like they see that they're not winning and nobody, nobody likes losing. Right? And that's why winning is a great framework. So if we see somebody is not winning, um, we intervene proactively and try to help them win. And the second is one-on-ones. Got it, got it. 
So Arnav, I must tell you that we are halfway through the episode and I've already gained so many insights that it kind of gives me a lot to think about, especially, you know, when, when I'll eventually start my first company. And I'm sure listeners of this podcast also have a lot to think about uh, around hiring, best frameworks for winning, etc. Let's talk about culture for a bit. What does culture mean for you as a person? Yeah, culture is, uh, for me, like there's a quirky definition and then there's a standard definition. The standard definition is like culture is a common set of traits that a group of people exhibit. It could be a country, it could be an organization, it could be a gang, it could be a football team, whatever, right? The common traits that any group of people exhibit is culture. The funny definition is culture is how you behave when your manager is not looking, right? So that is how, what I think about culture. Culture is, like good culture is where people, the culture values become embedded in day-to-day actions of people. For example, like speed, for example, is one of our, like speed as a habit is one of our cultural values, right? So what I, what I expect or like I would have succeeded in building that culture if there's a meeting going on with like somebody who is, let's say, three levels removed from me in the hierarchy, right? And they're not very hierarchical, you understand what I mean, right? Somebody who's probably two years of experience has joined the company four months sort of ago. And when that person is in a meeting and that person is asking the question saying, hey, how do we move faster? Right? And when everyone in the company is asking this question in every sort of meeting saying, hey, why can't we go faster? Why can't, why do we need 15 days to do it? What will it take for us to do it in five? And then discussing, okay, to do it in five, this is what we'll need. This is what we can do. And then we might be not, we might conclude that we can't do it in five. We have to do it in 15. But good culture would be like this culture value. We would have succeeded, succeeded in, you know, making this a cultural value. But in every conversation in the company, everyone irrespective of their designation or seniority automatically ask this question, ki, hey, why can't we go faster? Right. So that is what I mean, but that's how I look at sort of culture. How did you go about building the culture at Leap? The way we have gone about building a culture is, I think first having this clarity on what kind of culture you want to build in the company and knowing your limitations as a, as a founder and knowing your strengths as a founder and knowing which industry you're operating in and accordingly, what does it take to win in that industry? If you're in an industry where moving fast is super critical, then speed has to be one of your cultural values. If you're in an industry where high reliability is the determines the winner from the loser, then attention to detail will be part of your sort of cultural ethos, like in everything, right? So the way we have gone about it is we have we nailed we nailed down sort of what does it take, what does it take for us to become the winning company in our space, what are those attributes, and then we designed cultural traits around it and we wrote a cultural document. One thing we did well was we wrote our cultural document like very, very early. Saying, boss, this is our culture document, these are things that we value, and working backwards. So we have worked backwards saying, hey, what does it take to win? What does, what parameters will determine who wins? Translate that into what traits do people need to show to do well on these parameters, and then saying, okay, if these are the traits that people uh, need to show, then how do we test for those traits in our interviews? And then how do we build sort of behaviors or routines 
in our day-to-day -day operations that reinforce that thing. So that's how we've gone about building the culture. Got it. Uh, Arnav, this is a question which I'm asking every founder these days. Given the recent hiring frenzy in India, for engineers specifically, now that everyone wants to hire engineers from India, what 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 do you advise a young engineer out there trying to make a career choice? And how are you looking at it as a founder, given the fact that you also have to hire engineers, the market is very, very crazy out there. How, how are you going about solving that problem? It's okay. Like it's a sign of the times. Everyone should optimize whatever winning looks like for them. But they should like, like they should know what winning looks like in the long term as well. So build a good sense of what winning looks like in the long term and then work backwards from there and then see that like just taking that job that's paying you like 10% or 15% more. If that is in line with what winning looks like for you, then like they should go for it. If uh, not, then like over optimizing for 10% at early stage of the career might not be the smartest thing if it takes away from what winning looks like in the long term, right? Because like people will now have very long careers, right? We'll live longer, we'll work longer and compounding is, compounding works, right? So people should, like the only advice I can give is just know that your career is going to be like 30, 40 years if you want to continue to work till that time. And there'll be opportunities. Like I think personally, I think I'll work till 80 at least. So it's a very long journey and uh, compounding will work. So just keep that in mind while you're factoring, while you're making those decisions. As a as a founder, yeah, it's like like founders ka do ekhi job hai, problem solving and the like business building is like three dimensional chess, as Ben Howards has mentioned in his book. So you'll keep getting problems. You have to keep solving problems. Right now, the fact that engineering salaries are sort of are high and it's a it's a very very hot market is a problem. You solve the problem. Like you approach it like you'll approach any problem like customer acquisition. You would approach it. Customer acquisition is not easy, but you approach it and you solve for it. Fundraising is not easy, but you approach it and you solve for it. Building a great employer, sort of NPS, like high NPS experience for consumers and everyone else is not easy. It's a problem, you solve for it. Similarly, I think we having the problem, you solve for it. Maybe you need to reset your uh, salary structures. Maybe you need to figure out why should someone work for you. Maybe you need to figure out a differentiator. Maybe you need to figure out what's your unfair advantage to win. And just double down on that like crazy. Like there's no point like crying out loud about it because the reality. People are getting better options. So either you figure out a different set of people like and it depends on what kind of company you are. If you're very well funded, then you meet the market standard because the truth is that you're now raising also more money. Right? So you, you should be able to sort of pay better as well. If you're not as well funded, then you figure out another axis on which you can sort of compete. It could be the technology you're working on. It could be the space that you're working on. It could be the people that you have in the org who can be talent magnets. It could be the kind of work, the kind of ownership you give. It could be uh, giving more stake in the in the company as as ESOPs. You figure out a dimension where you can compete and win. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the sign of the times. That's how you'll have to cope with it. Uh, moving on to the next question, Arnav. You've worked with SAFE partners for a few years and I'm sure you were around founders and startup teams all the time. What are some of the key takeaways from 
those few years uh, working with uh, safe partners you get exposed to smart people smart founders and you see those founders operate and you pick up things that good founders like do well and you try to factor that in right and vc is unique in the sense that you get to talk to and meet very smart people and like like very good operators who are actually solving problems who have built value they have created value for the user and for their investors and for themselves and their people so around very smart people so it does allow you to pick trades from those people much faster having said that you don't spend time with them in the trenches so you can only op- sort of whatever you learn is through observation when they are let's say in a board meeting or something if you have to talk about any myths that you had about founders before you started working for vcs and then those myths got busted when you actually started meeting founders when you started working with safe partners what what would those be i used to feel before i became a vc i used to feel that the smart, the founders who were more successful are the smartest people and would have like super high iq and like all of like was steel jobs or halo halo right but uh, like what i realized actually that the common thing about most founders who are successful is actually not sort of sheer intelligence all of all the successful founders are intelligent right but they're not very different from places like an average uh, person who is a mckinsey partner or like somebody who's working at at flipkart leading their digital marketing or some kind right as any given intelligence ka delta bahut high hai i think the difference is that founders are like very very optimistic they love problem solving they live for problem solving very very pers- perseverant and they actually have comfort with ambiguity that is the delta so the and again i'm caveating by saying they are all very smart but they just as smart as like i am like right? and then we like one percent founders who will be exceptional types so what i'm talking about most founders as any is intelligence me they are like 10 times more intelligent than you are but i think on other things like ambiguity with uh, comfort with ambiguity perseverance sheer problem solving energy actually the common trait among all the founders that i think what is energy they are very very energetic so these are things that you pick up because you have that exposure and vantage point to founders that's a very interesting take uh, arnav uh, we are we are almost closing on this episode uh, i would love to know where leap is headed in the future and why should someone join the startup yeah leap is headed to become the most loved largest at tech plus fintech platform in the world for anyone who wants to have a global education and global career we want to be the platform of choice we want to build the best sort of higher education platform in the world globally that's where we are headed and we are making good progress towards that the reason why somebody should work for us uh, i think we are at a very interesting point where we have all the resources needed to execute on the most audacious plans that we had so we are at a place where we have good product market fit we know where to go from here we know how to grow and we have the ammunition to do that and we have the team and the processes and the product and the technology to do all of that but in terms of org we are probably one round before so we are a series c org but at in org we are a series c company but at a org level i think we are somewhere between series a and series b 
which means that there are a lot of positions where somebody can come have a meaningful meaty role and sort of contribute to the growth of the company and participate in that upside so our growth in terms of funding business product all of that is actually ahead of the org so this is an interesting time for someone who wants to uh, come in early enough but also come in at a point where we have all the ammunition so we don't lack resources right sometimes when you join the startup very early you lack the resources etc we are at that sweet spot where we have the resources we know what to do we have cracked many things now it's about putting fuel on this fire looks like the next few months at leap are going to be very interesting enough thank you so much for joining me on this podcast i hope you had a great time chatting with me my pleasure sir shall hope your podcast becomes really really popular <laughs> yeah yeah i i hope for the same or not thank you so much